We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. It is our weekend edition, our 25th episode of the 2019 calendar year. This is your host, Eric C. Apollo, with Michael Stewart, the great, I, I call him great, defensive back for the Los Angeles Rams during the 1980s and early 1990s. Uh, we have a lot to talk about tonight. Of course, the main topic obviously will be the news on Todd Gurley that came out this week, but... No pun intended, I promise, no pun intended. Before we get knee-deep into the show, 
I got to check in with Michael. Brother, how you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing really good, man, really good. We uh, definitely got some some things going on. Do you hear that? I do. I hear a kind of a, a white noise. Are you, you know, if you can't see it yet, maybe one day we'll get some video going. Yeah. But, I mean, Michael just kind of stopped and looked around and kind of paused. There's a ghost. He's in a, he's a kind of in a bathroom or something. He's in his, in his temp place. He's in a temporary home here. And yeah. he looks around like it's haunted. He's like, exactly. But you know what, dude? I'm not cutting this out, man. I'm not cutting this out. We're, we're going to leave that and get people wondering. So, I, all right, folks, before we move on, we want to remind you that we're anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. You can also find our podcast list with, with Clutch Points. They feature an awesome map that puts loads of NBA and NFL information at your fingertips. Just check them out at clutchpoints.com or download the app. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave five-star reviews on iTunes. It really helps us out. Don't forget our other shows on the network. Newly here, Rams Uncensored, uh, Rampage Radio, and a little bit of a hiatus, a, a sunborn, a childborn. Butting heads, and soon Norm Hightower's new show, which will focus on breaking down film. Dude, do you realize how much podcasts we're going to be doing here this year? Man, it's going to be nice. I mean, Real nice. You know, there are other good podcasts out there, but we're, our goal is to always make sure you don't have to go anywhere else. We're, we got you covered here at Rams Talk. Okay. So, this is kind of crazy, kind of weird. It, it came out of nowhere. Although, it, I, you know, Michael, it shouldn't surprise you. I know it doesn't surprise you. It doesn't surprise me. A, a news report comes out. The Athletics, the Athletic Boston's Jeff Howe, he's a Patriots beat writer. And he notes on Twitter, just in the last couple of days here, that he's been told by a source that the reason Todd Gurley missed a little bit of time here, you know, the Super Bowl, was arthritis in his knee. Now, Mike Florio clarified this on Pro Football Talk, stating that, well, it's the, it's the knee that he had the ACL surgery. Well, A, I mean, that's kind of common sense, right? I mean, why else would you have arthritis in the other knee? It doesn't right, make sense. Right, right. But um, how do you feel about a, this is not coming out of the LA organization. B, because it didn't come out anywhere out of anything LA organization. That is it possible that it's not credible? Or C, does it really even matter? We all know something's wrong with his knee. Well, whether it's his knee, his heart, his head, whatever the situation is, obviously there was something going on down the stretch there, especially you know in the biggest game. You figure. You never know if it's a once in a lifetime. Most guys who get there, you know, Ronnie Lott went and had his finger cut off so he could play in the Super Bowl. So most guys who get a chance to play in that are going to do whatever it takes. So with him being not so much up to speed, it makes you think or me think it could be maybe worse than even they realize. I mean, I do want to caution here. You know, the Athletic is a newly formed uh, journal site, you know, a sports coverage site, and they've got some really great writers there. It's a little odd to me, though, that they're the Patriots beat writer filed the story. Um, as for Mike Florio on Pro Football Talk, I mean, his credibility is well, eh, but it doesn't matter. 
mean, we all know something's wrong with his knee, right? And it, it doesn't surprise me if it's arthritis. It makes total sense. And, you know, you mentioned this, I think it was a podcast or two ago when talking about it, that the Rams, you know, knew all along that this was risky when they re-signed them that this could happen, especially at $45 million guaranteed for the next how many years now? I mean, so they knew, they knew it was a risk. Absolutely. And you, you figure they have the doctors on staff. They have the medical team uh, that are monitoring everything and letting them know every step of the way. You know, obviously they can go down at any time and, and review, you know, the history of workouts, miss workouts and all those things. I'm sure they talk with the medical staff every day, especially with, you know, someone like Todd. And and I think we noted way back in training camp last year, at least from my observational eye, it, it looked like he was just wasn't running smooth. And it looks like they had him on a pitch count, if you will, uh, during training camp, which is wise. But at the same time, uh, it may be a situation where they know coming off of the injury that they want to try to get as much out of the situation as possible without doing more harm, if you will. How much do you want to bet that come training camp this year in the preseason, he's going to take one snap in a game? I mean, we. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's going to be on very, very limited. But, you know, as we know, Typically, uh, as we saw with with uh, uh, D Lyman, why am I? That was out of camp. Uh, I know one player. Uh, Talking about Whitworth? No, defense. Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. I don't know Boy, why I'm going to blame But yeah, AD, in the, in the sense that, you know, once he kind of shook off a little bit of the ring rust, if you will, he's ready to go. So typically you want to use camp as getting out the kinks, the soreness, all that good stuff. When you are very limited in camp, once the season starts, it's still going to take you still another, you know, couple weeks to really get up to quote unquote game speed if you're not really doing anything during camp. Well, you figure though. We, this is what they did last year, too. None of those starters saw a snap during the preseason games. I mean, that's not really even going to be a shocker this year. It'll add to the questions because people were already asking questions even before last year. What happens if the Rams starters don't play any games? Is it, this is unorthodox. And then, of course, the Rams went there and blew out the Raiders after, a, you know, kind of a shaky first half. But they came out there and blew out the Raiders and then, you know, turn out the next week and blow out, I think it was the Cardinals. So I'm not really worried about. That, I guess I have questions, though. I mean, what do the Rams really know about Gurley's knee when they sign him? This extension. I saw a couple people on Twitter respond to us and say, well, of course they knew, or else they wouldn't have signed him. Really? I'm not so sure about that. Because, you know, I, I look at an organization like the Rams or any other professional organization that has the top doctors and, and medical people out there that can think, I can fix that. So go ahead and sign him. I can fix that. So I don't think it's a given that they that they didn't know. And well, they- I, I I think uh, at the end of the day, when you're talking about you know this is an investment in a integral part of your your football team, and you know whoever makes a decision on signing, not signing, drafting, not drafting, you know all those decisions 
whoever makes the final call, once they're on your squad, then it's up to everyone to make sure, hopefully, that whatever pick, whatever round, whatever trade, whatever free agent signing that happens, you've done your homework and it's going to benefit the team down the road. So at the end of the day, part of it is, you know, the organization maybe not realizing, maybe once he got back and got going, you know, certain rigors of practicing, getting in shape, all those things uh, play a role in it. But, you know, also note that a lot of these guys kind of have their own personal trainers now. And so I'm sure they try to coordinate with the training staff per se, but at the same time, that's extra something you're doing outside of the watchful eye of whatever team you're on. So that posed another question as well. And how much is too much? What are you doing? You know, how much is it being coordinated overall? So there's just a lot of things that come into play. Um, but one thing of note is, you know, we all have certain genetics. You know, some guys get an injury. Uh, you know, I saw something on Twitter talking about Frank Gore, who's had two ACLs, and he's still going at it. But you see another guy have one ACL, and it ends his career. So some of it is genetics as well. I just look at this and go, man, when it comes down to the running back position, when it comes down to the way your offense is run, I really, really hope that the Rams didn't know about this when they signed up. Because if they knew about it, it seems almost irresponsible. And this is nothing against Todd. Uh, we love Todd. We want Todd to be great. We, we hope that this is nothing but you know a hiccup and he comes back next year and does great things. But it's also, you got to think, the long-term health of your entire franchise. And paying him the amount of money you're paying him long-term really – you know, does makes a huge dent in your salary cap. So you kind of hope that they didn't know about it because I don't see why you'd want to take that kind of risk when, when you know, it, it can lock you down for a long time. And that brings me to this question, though, Mike. Does, does girlies knee, knee problems resurrect that long-held belief that teams should be careful paying their star running backs large contracts with significant guaranteed money? Well, you got to figure uh, it's a couple things that come into play. You have what is called a guy who may be looked at as a leader, captain, uh, a great guy in the locker room, a great person to be around, does great in the community. Uh, you also have to realize if you let's just say in, in Todd's situation, he's up. There is kind of some him and haw and. Are they going to pay him? Are they not? How long? So on and so forth. But you have this whole thing, new stadium, California. We got new coach, excitement. Do you want to take a PR hit by not signing? So you have those things that come into play when a free agent, especially from your own team, is going to re-sign or not sign. You know, how much is the PR hit worth? How much is the team chemistry worth? All those things come into play as well. Absolutely. Any team that knows that they're not going to be able to maximize any player that they say, uh, sign for huge money. Yeah, they're not going to do it if they actually know for a fact they will be willing to take the PR hit. But if it's a 50-50 coin toss like, oh, man, we could 
outlive the contract and we all are happy player is happy the team is happy you know we're winning hopefully we get a super bowl or whatever your your goal is then it works uh unfortunately if it starts going south then guys like us and other pundits begin to talk about hey what's going on here but i kind of wonder too i mean just i'm not sure that I'm not picking on you. I'm not sure you really answered the question. The overall idea for many, at least the last four or five years, has been, listen, it's probably not a great idea to pay big money long-term to running backs. The average NFL starter, I think, lasts, what, five, six years in the league. It can be any variable different types of injuries. So just when we saw... Gurley take that contract, and now we see Le'Veon Bell going out there, and he's someone's going to pay him. And it seemed like the NFL was just starting to move on from that belief that teams should be careful paying their star running backs. Does this knee problem that's emerged this pat in the last couple of months cause teams to think, you know what, let's back up here, let's wait on these extensions to the last minute if possible, or maybe let these guys go? Well, absolutely. I mean, you bring up a good point. You know, the thing is, there's a fiscal responsibility that all the teams, because of salary caps and all these different things, have to take into consideration. Now, the situation always comes down to is the timing. And so, absolutely, you're going to look at any player, you know, there's all kind of uh you know, information on when a running back has reached his peak and how many carries. And, you know, this is the thing I think Le'Veon Bell is going to run into is, you know, where actually is he? Is he the guy from two years ago still going, getting to the peak or has he hit the peak and now he's falling off? Are we going to pay for that? And now we're stuck with something that, you know, we may only get one year instead of three or four. So absolutely, that's that's going to be a consideration. And I'm sure many teams are watching this situation because, as you noted earlier, I'm sure the Rams did their homework. But if it does come out, in fact, that they were a little off either on their timing or how much they thought was left in the tank or how quick that maybe things progressed, Without them like, oh, man, we thought we had three years, but we really only got two. You don't know until sometimes after the fact, you know, you got to run on that knee. You got to walk on that knee. You got to work out on that knee. So even though you're on a pitch count for camp or games, you still got to do things to get in shape and to be able to play a four quarter football game or overtime if need be. So absolutely. All teams are going to look at that. The Rams, I'm sure, are crossing their fingers and hoping that it's a situation they can manage. I mean, and I think also a lot of it depends on Todd. When it comes to any kind of arthritis, a lot of it is just about being able to manage the pain that comes with it. It Is, you know, can a player deal with the sometimes severe pain that comes with arthritis and especially where it's located in the knee? For many people who are older, these arthritis causes you to be uh, barely able to move your wrists, your hands, or so on and so forth. He's not at that point yet. He's still young. You know, when he's he's probably going to have a new knee in 15 years. We well, let's go ahead and acknowledge that he's probably going to have a new knee in 15 years. But now it's not that 15 years. So I look at it and go, what can Todd Gurley tolerate pain wise? And 
How much longer will he be able to do that? I remember, I think it was a football life with Terrell Davis, and a lot of what Terrell Davis did was him having to tolerate pain his last couple years in the league before he said, you know what, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. And I look at the same way now with Todd. This, it's going to get inflamed. It's arthritic. If it's that's what it is. And if it's not arthritic, he didn't take any major hits in that knee this year, but yet it still got inflamed. It, it's, I've long believed there is something not right with that knee. So it's going to be, to me, chronic. It's going to keep happening. And the Rams and Todd Gurley have to figure out how to manage it. Now, take another look at it from this aspect. You're playing the game NFL football. You now have documentation of all these things that can go wrong with you down after your playing days. What guys have today is because there's a lot more money guaranteed up front, things like that. You don't have to be a guy that has to fight through and do all this stuff to make it one more year. or I got to get two more years. I think of a Gail Sayers that was one of the great all-time running backs. But once he had those knee surgeries, he only could go so far with the technology then. But nowadays, because of the different guarantees and the way things are structured, are you going to really go the extra mile when you don't have to, when you actually have a guaranteed contract? It's different if they go, hey, you're only going to make this money at the end of the year after you actually play X number of snaps, X number of games. That's a whole different story. So the thing is, if you had a major knee injury coming out of college, you fought back from that. You had whatever happened and, you know, struggle. We don't know how much pain he's in after every practice or game and all those things that he has to do to get ready for next week. Mm -hmm. But some guys like a Terrell Davis, you have a higher tolerance. Other guys say, hey, man, I've made enough. If they let me go, so be it. I've had a good two or three years or whatever it's been, and, and I go on my merry way. So, yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to the individual you know, how much he wants to sacrifice, especially knowing you already have a situation that's already going south. It's, it's not like it's going to miraculously get better because you got to train, you got to do all the things we talked about. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. And, and hopefully it's more of a slow, longer term thing that maybe they caught it somewhat and they can manage it better now. Well, I think also you can't, you know, you don't want to forget that the Rams have some options there to to give him relief. I think it's clear they either they have a gold mine in John Kelly or they're going to re-sign CJ Anderson or and and or draft somebody. The draft is deep defensively. They need defensive help, especially with the free agents we're going to talk about a little bit later. So you would probably think they want to lean on shortening the offensive line and the defense and not have to take a, a running back. But I wonder what they're going to do now. What do you think they're going to do? What will the Rams do at the running back position concerning Gurley, C.J. Anderson, and other options? Well, this goes back to, again, the offensive style that uh, Coach McVay wants to employ. You know, he wants a back who can catch it out the backfield. He wants a back who can actually pick up the blitzes and do all those things that Ty can actually do and is really good at. So... Are you going to try to find another Todd Gurley 
I don't know. Like you said, do we have those guys already on the team? Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, this this poses a problem, obviously, because I'm sure they signed him with the idea we have him locked in. Now we got Aaron locked in. We're going to have golf locked in. So we got what is our core youth. You know, we picked up a good, great receiver, Brandon. Uh, Brandon Cooks. From Brandon Cooks. And so with those players, you know, they feel like I would think that they have a good nucleus, you know, counting the tight ends. Now with a new tight ends coach, it can probably get even more out of the tight end position. So obviously it's going to play a role in these next couple weeks with the free agents and, and all these things that are coming up. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered at this point. I got to pick on you a little bit though. You were having a hard time with the names tonight, man. (laughs) That's because I I, I ate too, too, too close to the show. And I I think the food is settling into the stomach. You gotta get you some caffeine. Get you know what I mean. <laughs> My goodness. Pick up Starbucks. Yeah, exactly. Just order in some Starbucks. Okay, so but here's my feeling. My feeling with with CJ Anderson though is is clear now. I think I think you can keep him at a, a relatively fair price. From my point of view, re-sign him for a year, maybe two. I mean, he's not gonna. I don't see him being a long-termer in L.A., but you know, see if you can get him for a year or two. Um, not worry about the draft this year. See if we, what you can develop with John Kelly. And then it, next year, once you see how Todd works out his knee, then you reevaluate, okay, you know, we better get another guy in here who could carry more than that. Uh, I, but I also, I mean, am, I, am I wrong with that thinking, or how would you do it if, if you were in less knee situation right now? Yeah, well, you know, Big Les is going to he, – he's got some things to think about. And, again, we're going to talk a little bit more in the in the program about, you know, who the guys that are going to maybe hit the market from the Rams team. But all these things now come into play on how you're going to, you know, approach the draft, how you're going to approach free agency, how you're going to approach your long-term strategy for the Rams. You know, it, it kind of was, I think – you know, we're, we're we're Super Bowl or bust. We did get to the Super Bowl, just came up short, you know, on a couple series and winning. But are you right back there next year? You know, are you trying to be there when the new stadium opens? So, yeah, these are the things that can keep uh, people like Les and, and the management up nights trying to figure out what direction. They're going to have a number of different options that they want to to employ but it becomes what's going to be the best option for the here and now and then for the future combined with free agency, cap, you know, coaches leaving, you know, all these things come into play on how to structure a winning team year in and year out. Yeah, but well, well, you, that was, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to pin you in the corner here, Mike. I'm trying to get you to put on your GM hat, all right? I want to know if you are less need right now and you're looking precisely at this running back position, what do you do in terms of what's your strategy for the next just year? You know, I'm saying I'm saying you keep CJ if you can, if he'll stay, all right? Um, have John Kelly developing behind him and Todd and then see where you stand with Todd's at the end of, last, of next year. So that's my feeling. 
But I'm wondering what your perspective is as a player, as you know, a guy who's you know, you're actually closer to a situation out there in LA. You I mean you're watching all the news reports and so on and so forth. If you are that GM right now, what are you doing? Well, first of all, I, I'm going to really try to understand and figure out what the medical prognosis is. That's where you got to start because at 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 that point, you're going to know what direction you need to go in. Uh, not having those crystal balls, I'm definitely going to have, if it's me, I got a contingency plan already in place now. You know, I should know having a young man that's already on the team, I should kind of know, can they carry it to where I need it to be? I should know that. And if that's not the case, well, I'm obviously going free agency or, you know, drafting. But again, when you're talking about about the psyche of players, what does that do to a Todd Gurley if he see a guy get drafted? You know, does he kind of go in the tank? Does he say, hey, forget it? You know, does he work harder? You know, what happens? I think that's where you're saying you re-sign a guy like CJ who's been here and proven he's done a good job. You give him a nice little sign-in bonus, you know, a bone, if you will, a little thank you card, and then you know what you have in him. Now, again, that to me is a great option for at least the next year. Now, you would hope that CJ now Obviously, being through the offseason workout, being in camp and being here, he would be even more formidable starting the season as opposed to a guy who we, you know, literally, as they say, picked up off the street. I'm, I'm hoping he was keeping in some kind of shape because he had to have to come back with a couple hundred plus uh, rushing yard games right off the bat. But at the same time, you would think that a guy like that should be a great option now already been in a program. He's not going to cost a whole lot of money, uh, and it should be able to work, you know, financially for you. Well, he'll probably lose a few pounds. And he did come. He did sound the Rams a little, well, a little chunky. Let's go ahead and admit that. But he'll he'll lose a little bit of weight. But I, it sounds like you're agreeing with me. It sounds like you're saying bring CJ back next year and see where the chips fall. I mean, oh for sure, right? oh for okay. sure. So yeah, oh for sure. And I want to see. I, I mean, I, I mentioned. John Kelly, but we can't forget about Justin Davis. What can he do? Um, right. What about Malcolm Brown's restricted free agent? Will they tender him or not? I think they won't. We talked about that before. But I guess play it safe, sign, especially now. I mean, we we addressed last with the idea that it it's kind of weird that some people are saying don't bring Anderson back. Now that we have these reports about arthritis, I think it's an imperative that you bring him back. Yeah, that's the guy you know, and you know he fits the offense, and you know he and Todd get along, too, for that matter. Absolutely, because at the same time, uh, you know, they're running backs. And, you know, with C.J. being a little older, having some more experience, and I'm sure he likes the idea that someone can go in there and spell him and actually help the team out. And so uh, when you have guys like that who not only compete at the position but also get along – you know, that makes for for a good team because you don't have any drop-off no matter who's in there. All right, guys. So there we there's our there are our thoughts on Gurley. I, I um I'm nervous to be honest. I I don't have a good feeling about this offseason the way Friesens are moving out and the cap space and but the one thing I know the Rams have done really well over many, many years, even when they were bad, is they are 
really good at working out the financial details of contracts. Doesn't mean they always find the right players, but they're very good at the the, the dotting the i's and crossing the t's. So let's hope let's you know see if that works. Okay, folks, most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. So if you want to learn more about Rams history, the personal touch, check out Jim Hawks. Hollywood's team, Grit, Glamour, in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out the story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy, Craigslist Hurst, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter, Team. It's also available both in hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Oh, and paperback, September 6th. September 6th. Get ready for that. Folks, I'm telling you flat out, this is a great opportunity to read a solid story, very good story, but also help out the local community in Los Angeles. The, the, the proceeds go directly to Homeboy Industries, which is a charity that focus on getting kids out of gangs and into productive lives in society in the area. So, again, check it out. It's worth every penny. Trust me, it's always seen grit glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's well worth your time. Oh, oh, and I got, Mike, I got, I got to slip this in, okay? Folks, if you're not listening in to our podcast here as we enter the offseason, you got to do it because we're getting into – Legends time, and this is where we start talking to members of our Legends community. And I just we we for our 200th episode, we had Dick Vermeil on Grant Wistrom. Dick Vermeil at the end of that, when he starts talking about hard work, that 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 sends chills, man. We we seem to have lost a little bit of that in our society these days. And then I just had an interview. I don't even know if I told you, Mike. Did I tell you that I spoke with? I can't. Roger Brown. The guy who was who replaced Rosie Greer in the Fearsome Foursome? Did I tell oh, you? Oh wow! This? No. Ah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So, so we we inter- I interviewed him yesterday. It was an amazing experience. The guy's eighty one years old, running a restaurant chain, a small restaurant chain down there in Virginia, and he's working full time. He's washing dishes. He's cleaning carpets. He's cooking, and just listening to him talk about life, and he's you know. He's, a guy who went through and he's joined the league at the end of the Jim Crow South. I mean, it's just a really great story. His attitude's amazing. So, folks, tune in. Please keep listening, even if you're not so into the draft stuff, because we're putting out content. We're talking to these players, and we're, we're bringing their history back to you. It's what we do. It's what we love. That's how, hey, that's how Mike wound up joining the podcast. We reached out to him, had a great interview, and over the course of time, he and I have become friends. And now he's I, – I, I mean that too. I mean that. You know, we've become friends, and, and it's been really neat having him be part of our staff here. And, and uh, it, it is really neat, dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right, so moving on. This last week, Sean McVay and Les Snead, they get to the combine. and They, they each do their, their check-in interviews. And one of the things that made the news was Sean McVay admitting that he should have had a better contingency plan for the Super Bowl. And, Mike, i got to be honest about this. Anybody who watched that game knew 
that Sean Sean was outcoached. Let's just admit that. I mean, he was. And the one thing I respect about him is, is his willingness to look back and own his mistakes. I, I think that's really important. But I got to be honest and, and, you know, shut me up if I'm really wrong for feeling this way. <laughs> it bothers me a little bit that he wasn't prepared. I'm, I'm thankful that he has the courage to admit that. But, you know, and we already believed he wasn't prepared. But how do you not have a contingency plan in place? I mean, the, the offense had been stopped against Chicago. His, you know, Bill Belichick's former defensive coordinator gave us problems. Matt Patricia gave us problems in the Detroit game. I was there for that. And Philadelphia used a lot of those same techniques. So how do you not have a better contingency plan for for the Patriots to really uh, to, to counter that? Because you have to think the Patriots watched all that film. And so i got to tell you the truth, dude. It's, it's really bothering me that he's not getting more prison for it, that we're not asking more questions about what the heck was going through Coach's mind and the rest of his staff as they go into the Super Bowl. Well, I was definitely caught off guard by the fact that he said, yeah, I was kind of not prepared, even though he recognized early on what they were doing. So I guess part of me is like, okay, that doesn't really you what they were doing. I don't know that preparation has anything to do. It's now time to just make an adjustment unless you're overthinking it and you're going, oh, they're just trying to trick us. They're going to start doing this probably next series. And then the next series came and went next series. Then the game is over. You go, oh, well, they never changed it. So therefore, we never adjusted. But it doesn't I don't I don't buy the fact that he just didn't know. My thing is, the question I have is, why didn't you make an adjustment? And then if they were trying to trick you and they adjust it, well, then now you got to counter that. But to just kind of go and think that maybe they're just going to stick to what you thought they were going to do and they never did that. That's the thing that kind of bothers me. Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense, Coach, when that's kind of what you were known to do early season and last year is being able to make adjustments and counter at what's what you see. So it just seems to me either, you know, the little chat before the game, hey, Coach, you're the best guy, whatever he told him, and just the whole idea of, of being there. And I think it, it goes to even in the game, even though you've played, even though you've coached, when you get there, it's one and done. And I would imagine, you know, maybe he got a little tight and just said, well, man, I'm going to just stick with the game plan and it'll, and it'll work. But I think had you hit a couple passes or something, you know, it could have been different. Things might have loosened up. And, yeah, you may have been able to go, but that just never happened. So, yeah, I was just a little taken back in the sense that you would actually say, yeah, we just really didn't make an adjustment. I mean, I'm I'm it's, I'm glad he has the courage to admit when he's wrong. I mean, we have too many people in today's society that don't do that. But on the same token, it's also the the opposite of that to me. That you know, you're being humble in this moment, but why weren't you able to look at 
the situation and think, you know what, I got to do better. It seems almost arrogant to think that the plan you had was good enough and that was it. And it seems almost arrogant to me that you don't adjust. You just keep doing what you're doing. Insanity, to me, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different result. And I, I'm just kind of blown away that, A, he's not receiving more prison for it, and B, that he even did to begin with. <laughs> yeah, so let's play devil got, devil's advocate a little bit, Derek. What was one of the major things that happened the week leading up to the Super Bowl with the staff? Well, that's Zach Taylor. Zach Taylor interviewing and, and getting the job with the Bengals. Right. So now, fast forward, now that in itself kind of throws things in a little bit of disarray, even though everybody says, well, we have a job to do, let's do our job, and so on and so forth. But now you get to the game. We have what we call in-game management. You have somebody using the booth who telling you the personnel groupings that are coming in defensively, down in distance, you know, what where the where you are on the field, so on and so forth. Relay that down. Now, I don't know what Zach's uh, role was during the game, but let's just say, you know, what Coach McVay's thoughts saying that, oh, yeah, well, I realized they were doing this, but we just never adjusted. Well, your in-game manager is going to be part of you like, hey, Coach, this is what they're doing. They're doing the same thing. This is what we need to do. But if you've got coaching changes and different things, you know, are you able to communicate those things effectively in the game that you had before the signing of now who's going to be a head coach? You know, all those little things, they may not tell us publicly, but all those things will affect what happens during the game. So I'm just I just don't believe Coach McVay, as intelligent as he is and in the play caller that he's been all since he's been in this role, would not at least make an adjustment of some sort. So I just think some of that might have played out because of whatever was going on with the staff now on game day. Did they give someone else that role that, you know, hey, that's their first day doing it on the job and it's the Super Bowl? I don't know. But it just seems to me something just doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, I always tip my hat to Coach McVay, very transparent, uh, very honest. So he's not just going to say something to say it. But at the same time, I give him a lot more credit that he at least knows how to make an adjustment. I'm critical because I think he should have done better. I'm also trying to understand because he's a third year old head coach in the biggest game of his life who – is losing his one of his offensive staff members who's facing you know his his running back isn't who we need him to be right now. I mean, let's admit that. And so, part of me is like, you know, it's just growing the game. Well, do I think it'll ever happen again? No, I think you learn from it. I think you grow from it. But I also want to be upfront and be honest when saying, you know what, that does deserve some criticism. If that's part of your job of being ready for this game. And having every contingency plan imaginable, and if, if the job wasn't done right, then it's going to fall back on your head coach, and it's going to fall back on your your entire staff. So it's, I guess, how do I frame it as clear as possible? It's just, I just believe he should be being questioned more about it than he has been, 
and then we can all move on. <laughs> How does that sound? Well, <laughs> Well, I, I think, you know, there's there's some some absolute truth to what that would be. But I think what happens is because of what he's done so far, he's getting a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, which I think he's earned. Sure. Absolutely. So now time, you know what I mean? So now time will tell come next season. How do the Rams, Coach McVay, the staff, how do we respond to now what is the big picture? Are we going to be the next Patriot dynasty that we're in the thick of things every year? Or are we going to be the team that I was part of in 1989? We get to the championship game and didn't, didn't smell it the next number of years that I was there until the, the Rams on turf, the a greatest show on turf came along. So it was a lot of years between that 89 getting to the championship game and finally getting back to the Super Bowl. So that's what, you know, this this game of football, this chess game that happens now every offseason. You know, we talked about the injury factor possibly early. You know, obviously we got some free agents for either going to have to re-sign or let go or sign new ones. We got the draft coming up. You know, we got the answers, you know, is Cup going to be back next year to full speed? You know, we have a lot of these kind of unanswered questions that happen now in the off season, but everyone kind of gets to start back at the start line, and then it just sees who's going to be ready to finish the race the strongest once the season gets here. Part of that finish that race is also what is coming up next, and that is free agency. And, uh, well, we just got word that the salary cap is $188.2 million this year. It's a little bit less than what was originally thought. It was reported back in December that it could be as high as $191 million. So it's a little bit less than we thought and hoped it would be, quite frankly. And the other, the other side of the aisle here is, is Les Snead. He mentioned Sean McVay. Les Snead gets up there and he talks about how they're going to let the four top free agents, Roger Saffold, Dante Fowler Jr., Ndamukong Tsu, and LaMarcus Joyner hit the market. And does that surprise you? They're going to let all, they're going to let all four test it. Does that surprise you at all? Not at all. I mean, that's, that's a typical ploy when it comes to negotiation in the sense of, you know, I'm sure Les, as well as all the other GMs, they've already had some type of discussion with these guys' agents on some general numbers and figures, you know, then it then it gets a little more serious. But there's no urgency to have to quote unquote re-sign these guys right now. So the idea is, hey, we let them test free agency, and hopefully their market value is whatever we're estimating, and another team doesn't come in and either swoop them up or offer them a whole lot of money and they go, yeah, we're, we're not willing or we can't based on our long-term goal. We can't resign you. So that, that seems like something normal that they're going to see what the market is bearing. And then hopefully they can resign those guys at least at some type of discount. I'm looking at this and going, okay, well, I'll before mentioned Nagamon Sue, Roger Saffold, Dante Fowler, Jr. The Marcus Joyner, I'm letting Joyner go. I don't think you can justify paying him 
around the, the ten eleven million dollars under Conway being a former franchise player. Um, I've already argued you keep Saffold, but it seems as though the reports are kind of leaking out that he's not the guy they're looking at. The guy they're looking at actually is Dante Fowler Jr. That's what the reports are saying now. I've read a couple of them that he's the guy they really want to bring back. But at a market value right now of, I'm seeing some quote-unquote experts marking him at $10 million a year or more. Is Dante Fowler at age 24 with 16, 17 career sacks, and that number evades me top of my mind, the guy you want at this point as your $10 million million man? Do you pay that kind of money to him? I'm on the, on the mindset of, no, he's probably worth seven or eight right now. But this is economics 101. You pay what the market dictates you pay or you just don't pay at all. So where do you stand with those four? Who's your guy you, you prioritize? And is Dante Fowler worth the $10, $11 million price tag? I, I, I say yes in the fact that a guy who came here and actually performed getting here at the time that he did. Again, now he's here off season. He's now already has a little bit more knowledge of the system. You would think that this guy now is going to be that much more dominant. And again, you have big AD in there that is already setting the tone on the inside. You got this young man who was set to tone on the outside now that is more entrenched in the system. And then it's just team chemistry. So now guys are able to read off each other and do those types of things. So, yeah, I think uh, Dante's a big, big one to get in. Regards to, you know, I'm echoing, I, I, it, it would seem that, you know, Big Saf was, would be a, a great re-signing. But again, everything comes down to the numbers. And so, uh, it's just it's just hard to say which way they need to go. I just believe in cohesion of group, and the O line seem to play pretty well together. They seem that they have, have a certain camaraderie. So with Big Wit coming back, if you resign Rod, you got stability at the position as opposed to bringing someone else in, or you know, hopefully next man up can step up and do the job. Uh, go ahead. I'm sitting thinking that the salary cap right now, because it's lower than we thought it's going to be, is roughly between 22 and 23 million, depending on what site you go to. And you also have a series of players you can cut. We talked about them before: Mark Barron and Michael Brockers and John Sullivan. Those are guys you combine those up, and all of a sudden you could have 40 plus million dollars in salary cap space. But Roger Saffold's market looks to be. 11 12 million dollars and right i'm not sure they can afford to do that when now you're going to, have to fill gaps if you let brockers go you got to fill that gap if you let sue go you got to fill that gap joiner you got to fill that gap you got you got to fill the mark Barron gap and you got to fit uh, fill the john sullivan gap and i just don't know that they'll be able to fill all the gaps they need to fill with the draft they don't have a second-round pick. Um, they have two late third-rounders. Can they move back into the second round with their first round? Yes. Get one or two back. I just look at this and go, I'm not sold yet 
on paying the money. I, I let me rephrase that. Soul's the wrong word because I absolutely believe Saffold should be prioritized. But I don't know that can happen. I just I'm just putting numbers well, together. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the dilemma that comes up every year. You know, I've I've been one guy that crying in the wilderness that saying from a player standpoint, when teams have to pay, whether it's their quarterback or what they may perceive, you know, their top running back. But when you have like a lot of your cap tied up into one or two positions, that to me is what becomes the issue. Then when you get down to situation like this, because it is a team sport, there's 11 offenders, there's 11 defenders, you know, you got your special team guys, but if you're just thinking offense and defense, at a minimum, you have 22 starters that need to be compensated for being in that starter position. But if one or two of the starters, you know, are taking up, you know, excess of 60% of your cap, yes, you're going to have trouble year in and year out trying to maintain and and keep cohesiveness and be competitive. That's why whether we hate the Patriots or not or whoever likes sports, they have a good formula for being able to do it year in and year out and how they've been able to just stay competitive and guys that, you know, seem to be bums in the league, they go there, resurrect their careers for a year or two, and, you know, win a ring seems like. But they seem to have a good model in regards to mixing, you know, the guy who's a lower-round guy who's playing hard and you don't necessarily have to pay him to, you know, every now and then they may go high in the draft. You know, this year they got a bunch of draft picks. But that model seems to be one that, that everyone else needs to somewhat take a look at. But at the same time, you know, depending on the offense or defense that you're running, a lot plays into that as well. You know, I just think that even though Sue, whatever his number is, I just think that, you know, now being here again uh, would just he- help, you know, Big AD just tremendously, tremendously by having him on the defensive front. But we'll see how it plays out. You know, and I think – I'm starting to change my mind on Dante Fowler. Just two days ago, I thought there's no way that he would um, ever the Rams would bring him back for ten million or more. And now I'm starting to think, you know, the guy's 24. He really enjoys yes. playing there, and they want him back. Part of me really thinks that, yeah, you know what, he might be worth that money at age 24. You know that 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 deal might wind up being a bargain in five years. I look at you know Lamarcus Joyner. He's twenty eight, twenty nine years old. He's I, I think that at this point there's he's hitting his sky now. He's not going to get much better than he is now. Roger Saffold at thirty one. You need him. You want him there. His value is tremendous. But you can you can develop guys too. And Cromer's a good job developing guys. Look at Dominican Sue and. You know, I look at him and think he's a he's a player. You think of oh, those four, you want soon the inside next to Donald, especially if he plays like he did in the playoffs. So I think right now, I, I look at those four. I, th- I have to think Sue and Fowler 
are that priority. And I'm backing off Saffold right now because I'm looking at this and going, there are guards out there they can get that can that can stand in. Heck, you know what? A guy they let go went to the Giants. Jamon Brown went there and actually played for the Giants for a while. He's a free agent again, and he knows the system. Maybe you bring him back in. Maybe you use one of your third round picks on a guard. Maybe there's a guard available in the first round. Maybe there's an, so there's, there are there's options there, and I'm not sold anymore. I was just a week ago, dude. I'm changing my mind. A week ago, you heard me. I was. On the Saffold train. Toot toot. I'm gone. Okay. And now I'm not so sold anymore. Absolutely. But that's kind of how this thing goes, Big D. I mean, <laughs> the fact is that, that one week it's a priority. The next week it may not be as much a priority. And that's kind of what's going on in these 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 rooms now. You know, they're evaluating at the draft. You know, the thing with the draft is you're going to have to, it's very rare rookies come in and just really make an impact. You know, you got guys in certain positions that can do that. But there's a lot. Rookies coming into the pro game, you're playing with grown-up men. It's a little bit different practice structure. It's learning a new system. It's all those things. Uh, So all that depends. However, you look at, Wade Phillips, you know, I'm sure he's pounding on the table. Hey, I need to have this guy back. I need to have this guy, you know, this is going to help us, and this is why, so on and so forth. So they got to take all those things into consideration. Where is, where is, where can you actually afford a drop-off? Can you afford a drop-off on now less pressure on the quarterback with the system that Coach Phillips wants to run? Well, you probably can't because we saw in Denver – what happens once they can't get the pressure that they needed, then it starts making things become suspect in the secondary. And now people, you can't seem to stop anybody. So yeah, all those things play into it. And so it's really, you know, I agree that, you know, I, I would like to see, you know, Dante Sue, you know, if I had to go in order one, two, and then, you know, kind of figure out the rest. But you make a great point. We got a guy who's been here. Hey, maybe he comes back and kind of like Saffold did as well. Uh, and now he can shine in his time in, in the sun as well. So, yeah, man, it's it's just kind of some exciting. But, you know, I don't want to say nervous, but it's, it's, it's some things to think about. Well, we're fortunate too, Mike, because, you know, we'll get some answers real quick. This is this is the first week of March now. You can start signing people next week, basically. So we'll start getting news leaked this week as to who's going where, which means we'll probably wind up having a podcast, an emergency podcast in here at some point, and to talk about the yeah. signing. So, I mean, we're, we're going to know some stuff this week, with the, especially with the combine being over. So hang on to your hats, folks. It's it's time. It's, it's crazy season in the NFL. Okay. It is time for us to go. Before we go there, if you are interested in sponsoring us, reach out to us at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. Oh, and by the way, we are working with LF Designs to put together a shirt. So, no, we're not trying to compete with the Rams for your money. But if you enjoy our show and like the shirt, hey, please pick one up or two because it'll support us while also paying homage to this franchise's wonderful history. I'll have an updated picture of the shirt on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll probably sell for 25 bucks. Check it out. Again, we're not trying to 
interfere with any merchandising the Rams got going on. This is just for us. And if you uh, if you like what we do and you like the shirt, uh, go buy it, man. We could really use a little bit of support there. Okay. Anyways, Mike, any final thoughts on the show? Hey, great show, buddy, and uh, really excited about this this free agency and draft that's coming up here in these next number of weeks. And, uh, man, I'm just looking forward to, you know, this round situation on some of these fronts getting straightened out, but I'm sure over these next few days to weeks we'll, we'll get a lot more information. As time goes, it is silly season in the NFL. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. We also have the Rams Talk Room, the group Rams Talk Room. Find me on Twitter at DC Paula. Find Michael at OneDuke23. Don't forget to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, all those places. IDRadio.com plays our shows on Saturdays and Sundays, also on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Okay, for the entire team, for Mike, go Rams. Another week, another podcast in the books. Have a great one. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.